Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Well, good morning. My name is Becca, and I am one of the pastors here, and it is just our honor and privilege to be able to serve you. And as you can tell, Samuel is not here this morning. So I get to share the word. And we're going to be continuing with the series Made Known. So we've been in the book of Ephesians for about three months now, and there is a lot to unpack. One of the things I love about going through a book of the Bible like this is that it doesn't afford us the opportunity to skip over the parts that we don't like. The parts that are a little uncomfortable. And how many of you know that there are some things in the word of God that can make us a little like, that's uncomfortable, right? So this morning, what we're going to be doing is we are going to be continuing in the book of Ephesians, but today is going to be kind of a little bit like if you were watching a sitcom called The Ephesians, today would be previously on The Ephesians. Look, they even made me a screen. Aren't they awesome? So the three major themes that we've been looking at so far in Ephesians are this. Christ has reconciled the entire creation to himself. Madi just shared this when we were in communion, that, that Jesus has done the work to reconcile us to who he is. The second theme is that Christ has united all of the reconciled believers under this thing we call the church. And then the final theme of Ephesians is that the church must live as the church. There are things for us to do. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. We just thank you for this opportunity to simmer in your word, Father, to sit in your presence. We thank you that we gather as a group of believers who are fully devoted to the practice of your word, to the praise of who you are, Father. We thank you that this morning that these words would um, carry the power of who you are, Father, that they would provide transformation in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, the only way that it can, and it is in your mighty name we pray, amen. Well, what we're going to do this morning is we are going to lay the foundation for Ephesians, but we're going to do that by looking at some other places in the Bible. And one of the great things about the, the church at Ephesus is that it's mentioned in quite a few other places. And so we're going to be looking at Acts 19, we're going to be looking at Acts 20, and then we're going to jump into Revelation, which is scary for some people, but it is good news to the believer. So the first thing that I want you to understand is I want you to have a little bit of context for the city of Ephesus, because I think one of the things we can do as people in 2023 who have our buildings and our cities and our skyscrapers and our cars and our screens is we can think that the city of Ephesus and people in the Bible, that they were just so antiquated, that they were all just walking around the country kicking up dust. And that just wasn't the case. So when we're looking at the city of Ephesus, the city of Ephesus was a major port. People from all over the world came to Ephesus. And the population at that time was about 225,000 people. It was the center, the epicenter for the worship of gods of all different religions. It was such an epicenter for the Greek and Roman gods that this is where one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis, is. And this thing was no joke. 
The base for the temple of Artemis, or yeah, the base for the temple of Artemis was the size of two American football fields. That was just the base. They had an amphitheater where all of the little kids would go and they would go and watch Jew Perfect, right? <laughs> Chariot Jam. Okay, yeah. That, yeah, next, next, that was a good try. So these kids, they're going to this amphitheater, and the amphitheater sits 24,000 people. To put that in perspective, the Van Andel Arena sits 12,000. This was a major metropolitan area. And so Paul comes in to Ephesus, and this is actually Paul's third missionary journey. And I want us to catch that in Acts 16.6, it says this. It said, next Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Paul gets to head to Ephesus now, and he stays there for well over two years. But I think something that I want us to catch before we move on is that sometimes God guides us in a certain way for a season, Sometimes it's no. Sometimes a no is a no, right? And those things are called sin. If it's a no today, if I can't murder somebody today, I don't need to ask God about it again in three years. It's still going to be a no. Sin is always sin. But there are a lot of other things that don't fall under the umbrella of sin that we are meant to give up to God and to say, God, help us in this. Give us direction. Give us guidance. And those things can change. This is the time of year, like Madi said, when people are going back to school and kids are going back to school. And I have this conversation every single year with parents who say, you know what, we, we pray every single year about what we're supposed to be doing with our kids when it comes to school. And we've always felt so strongly that we're to be homeschooling. But this year, when we prayed about it, we really felt that we were supposed to be putting our kids in public school. And then I have the opposite. People who said, you know, we've always been very committed to the schools. And this year, when we brought that before God, he said, you know what? I want you to keep them home for a season. And I love that because the word of God says in Isaiah 30, verse 21 and 22, it says, whether you turn to the right or the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And as people who give our lives to God, we should look different. The Holy Spirit so intricately knows all of the details of my life, of your life, that even though we walk in unity, as Ephesians has been talking about, we do not walk in uniformity. And if the church is meant to go and take ground for the kingdom of heaven, then we have to be going places that are different from everybody else that's a believer. And so we walk in that unity, but it should not always look the same. And I love that in that scripture, he doesn't say this is life or death. He said this is left or right. He so cares about the little decisions in our lives. And we are meant to give him every decision. I want you to look in the word with me at Acts 19 verses 1 through 6. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, 
then what baptism did you, did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. One thing I want us to catch is that when Paul comes to Ephesus, it doesn't say he found people who had questions. It doesn't say he found people who were curious about Jesus. It says that he found disciples. He found people who already said, this Jesus guy, I am sold out for him. I want to walk in the same path that he walked in. But they were defective in their knowledge of the Holy Spirit. They hadn't learned of the Holy Spirit. You see, Christianity professes belief in the Trinity. Now, if you look through your Bible, you're not going to find the word Trinity. But the entire word of God from Genesis to Revelation so clearly shows that we believe in a God of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But what can be really easy in the church is to live as though none of those three persons are present in our lives today. I grew up in a church not knowing anything about the Holy Spirit. I was in church every single Sunday, and the only thing I knew of the Holy Spirit was Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen. And that was it. But Paul arrives here. He knows that they love Jesus, and he says, you need the Holy Spirit because they had no Holy Spirit living in them. Jesus said in John 16, 7, but I tell you the truth, it is for your benefit that I go away. Anybody else read that and think, what? You, you're the redeemer, the creator, the healer, the protector, the provider, the, the salvation that we've longed for, the sanctification. You can't, you can't go away. <laughs> like, no, you can't. But he said it is better for us if he goes away. Why? Because he said he would send the helper who would lead us, instruct us, and guide us in all things that, that Jesus had shown us. Now, I remember when Samuel and I first got married, we were, leading a, um, we were leading a youth group, and I had a group of small, a group of small girls. No, I had a small group, a group of girls. And we went to service one time, and there was somebody who was going to be up there, and he was going to be praying for filling of the Holy Spirit and um, healing and prophesying. And I'm sitting in the row, and I'm just kind of getting ironed out what I believe in these things. And I'm sitting there, and he says, you know, I want anybody who wants to receive more from the Holy Spirit to come forward. And I'm sitting right at the inside row, and my girls stand up, and they start filing out. And I'm sitting here thinking... I am the leader. Like, I, I should probably lead by example. So I get up and I start walking to the front, but my brain, like I have all sorts of, you know, I grew up with science and math. So I'm going to go up there, but I am not going to do that dumb fall over thing. Like, have none of these people taken a choir class? That's like the first thing they teach you. You got to keep some bend in your knees so you don't pass out on the stage, right? And so I'm thinking, I'm going to go up there. I'm not doing that dumb fall over thing. And then I, then I got kind of a real attitude. I was just young and I was kind of punky. And I got this attitude and I was like, and I know who's ministering and he's a good friend of ours. And if he even touches me, I'm just going to shove him back. I'm like, I am not going to be manipulated. 
And so I go forward and he's going and he's touching people on the shoulder and I'm kind of, I got my attitude, right? I still got my chip on the shoulder. And so he's touching people and I'm like, if he touches me, like I am not happy about this. And he comes up to me and he stands about three feet away and he goes like this. I open my eyes and I am laying on the ground, staring at the ceiling. And you know, sometimes our flesh doesn't immediately run away. Because I laid there and I just felt really dumb. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so awkward. <laughs> like, now what do I do? Like, I'm looking at the person next to me here and I'm like, okay, they're still there, so is it appropriate for me to get up? And I look at the person over there and I'm like, okay, that person didn't even fall. They bent their knees, I guess. And looking at the next person, I'm thinking, when do I get up? And so I finally get up and I start walking back to my seat. And I didn't feel like a whole lot had shifted in me, except I'm embarrassed now. And I so clearly felt the Holy Spirit imprint on me. If you say you want to receive more of me, you better be willing to receive however it comes. It is devastating not to know the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 5 talks about a future church and it says they will act religious, but they'll reject the power that can make them godly. They'll have a form of godliness, but they'll reject its power. And it says to stay away from people like that. We are meant to have godliness, yes. But we are not to deny the power that lives in us. So in, in Exodus 39, they're not gonna have this up there because <laughs> I'm just putting it in. In Exodus 39, we read about the priestly garments. So in the Old Testament, not everybody was allowed to come into the presence of God. It was only the high priest that could enter through all of the different layers that protected the physical presence of God, which was the Ark of the Covenant. Now we know he resides in us. But at that time, it was only one person that could go in and he had to be adorned in these robes and all sorts of different stuff that he was sent in with. Well, one of those pieces of clothing had on it these bells and pomegranates. And it had 50 of each. And the bells on this, we now know when we see the Holy Spirit, were meant to be the gifts of the Spirit, the character of God. Haley preached about the character of God, the person, the presence of God. Justice, mercy. And then the pomegranates were meant to be the fruit of the Spirit, the power of God how he moves, how he makes himself known. And so we are meant to encompass both. We're meant to carry the character of God at all times, but we are also meant to allow the power of God to work in us and move through us in order for the world to see how God walks. Remember in Ephesians 1.19, it says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. There is incredible greatness in that. So um, everybody has one of these people in their family. And I hate to admit it, but it's probably me and my family. I want to say it's my great aunt, but anyhow, when you have a big meal and you have a lot of leftovers, there's always somebody who's like going through the Tupperware and thinking, I'm going to find the perfect one. I'm gonna find the perfect one. It's gonna be just right. You know, the leftovers are gonna come all the way to the top. And then when I put the lid on, it's just gonna suction nice and, and tight. And then I'm gonna have a perfect spot in the fridge for it to go so it's not taking up too much room, right? Anybody else? Anybody else? 
Yeah, you, if, if you don't have one in your family, you are probably that person. But here's the thing. God said, forget it. He said, I'm not going to do that Tupperware game. God created us to be containers for the Holy Spirit. But he created us to be containers for the uncontainable. He purposely made it so if we tried to put the lid on it, it would be like, uh-uh, I'm busting out. We have to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to over, overflow in our lives to reach the people around us. Let's keep going in Acts. Acts 19, 11 says this. It says, God gave power to Paul to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. So now we have Paul and the disciples performing miracles and healing people by the power of Jesus' name. Does anybody here know what happens when something goes viral? You see something pop up once and you're like, that's awesome. And then the next week, if you're scrolling, what do you see? Imitators. There are so many people who are like, hey, that was funny. I'm going to profit off of that. Hey, that was successful. I'm going to profit off of that, right? In 1984, the Dodge Caravan came out. Minivan. That was the first time. We see minivans everywhere. I'm kind of sold on the minivan life. Um, my kids have never hit a car beside us by opening their door. But anyhow, we see imitators appear because they want to profit and have success off of things that they see happening. And we actually see this even when it comes to the word of God. So when you look at this story of Acts and, and Ephesus and Paul coming into Ephesus, there's a group that says, man, look at these miracles they're doing by this name of Jesus. Let's, let's do that. Let's do that. And so they're called the seven sons of Sceva. And what happens is they rise up to imitate Paul. But when they try to use the name of Jesus, it doesn't work. The evil spirits say, hey, I know Jesus, but I don't know you. And they get beat up. And here's one of the things that I think is the cause of that. We are in this metropolitan area where every God is praised where they have a buffet that they can pick and choose whatever they want. And sure, Zeus might get a little mad sometimes if they're worshiping Venus, but nothing really happens. Well, here's the deal. With Jesus, something happens because his name will not be paired with any other name. He will not link arms with any other God, any other deity. His name stands above all. And all of the power comes through God by the power of Jesus' name. Jesus' name needed to be recognized as all-powerful. So this story of the seven sons of Sceva and these miracles, it says that they spread, this, this information spreads. And Acts 19.17 says, A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. And I think we need to stop here and ask ourselves some pretty blunt questions as people who are believers of Jesus. Why are we so afraid of the miraculous? Why are we content to have a form of godliness but deny its power? I know why. I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want to look stupid. 
I don't want to push people away from God, right? Because my job is always to take people one step closer to Jesus. I don't want them to get turned off if I do something or tell them something that happened in my life that's a little weird. And then the last reason is I don't want God to mess it up. What if he doesn't show up? Here's my response to that. What if he doesn't? That's not our responsibility. I am to be obedient. And the word says that as believers, we're going to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That we will be able to cast out evil spirits. That poisons won't hurt us. This is what the word of God says. And so even though it's uncomfortable for me to say that I believe this, this is what we're commanded. My job is obedience. His job is the result. And here's the thing. I think what happens when we get nervous about what God is, is doing and not wanting to share it is we keep it amongst, a, a, amongst believers. And that's important. It's important for us to share our testimony amongst believers. It's important for us to remember, even as we stood up here with communion, it's important for us to remember amongst believers. But when you look at the church of Ephesus, they shared, and these miracles are happening in front of unbelievers. And we are told not to seek signs, but we are told that signs will follow those who believe. And people are meant to see that because it draws them in to who God is. And this is really important. And this is something that has actually just come to me in the last few months, I guess. We clearly see when we read the Old Testament, God's power and his glory. We talk about the burning bush. This is where we get the Ten Commandments from. And none of us are walking around like, oh, the Ten Commandments are like, well, that just came from a burning bush. Like, we believe that. We, we hear about him moving in a pillar of fire in a cloud of smoke. And we say, wow, God, wow, your power, your glory. We see that in the Old Testament. In the Gospels, we look at the life of Jesus and he's healing and he's casting out spirits. And we say, wow, God, we marvel at that. We look at what the disciples did and we say, that's incredible. And then we say it stops. God does not say that it stops. It is meant to continue through what? Through his church. And the church is not a building. The church is us. We are the church. We are God's number one way to manifest his power and glory by the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. We cannot scoff at that power. I remember my Aunt Joanne was a missionary in Brazil, and she came back when I was just starting again to work through kind of this belief in miracles and healing and that sort of thing. And I remember saying to her, like, hey, I don't really want to profess that I believe this, but like, as a missionary, what do you, what do you believe about healing? And she just looked at me and she said, Becca, you can't minister effectively in a third world country without believing in the miraculous. They don't have another option. We have pain meds. We can take care of the pain. We have surgeries. We have things that are wonderful and it's so good that we have some of that. But it's a luxury to be able to scoff at the miraculous. Revelation 2 
is a series of letters um, that Jesus, John wrote it, but it was revealed to John by Jesus. And in Revelation 2, the, the first letter is to the church of Ephesus. And the letters completely, there are seven of them. And the reason that I believe there are seven, even though there were more churches, is because seven to people in that time represented completeness. And so we see in Revelation 22:10 that Jesus tells John, don't seal up this prophecy. Why? Because even though these individual letters are written to specific churches, they are written to the complete church. They are written to somebody, but they are written for us. And then Ephesians, this is what it says, talking about the church of Ephesus. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You have discovered they're liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. You guys, this is it. This is the church. This is the one that's successful. They're having the conferences. They're saying, come and see how to minister effectively. They're saying, come, let us show you how to be successful in what we're doing. They're getting it right. They have all the programs. They're doing all the things. And then the word of God says this. Yet, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and did the works you did at first. It is good to do things for Jesus. But our motivation for every single thing we do, back to that left or right, every single thing, is meant to be our love for God and our love for his people. Mark 12, 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are meant to be in love with God, and that is meant to inspire our doing. Um, the other day when I was heading off to drive to church, I pulled out of the driveway and into the sunlight, and when I did, I saw, like, the sunlight hit my windshield, and there were all these handprints and footprints on my windshield. <laughs> and Bo was in the car, and so I said, hey, Bo, um, these handprints, these footprints, like, uh, they're all over my windshield. And he's like, yeah. Um, I was helping dad with the car. Bo knows how deeply loved he is by Samuel. He knows that. And he so deeply loves Samuel in return that when Samuel is reading the word of God, Bo is right there. When Samuel is out shooting his bow, Bo is right there. When Samuel's fixing the car, Bo is right there. Because when we love somebody, we want to be a part of what they're doing. And so all the things that we're talking about, the gifts we're talking about in Ephesians, these are so important. And this is one of the things I love about our dream team. If you ask anybody, if you were to ask Jacob, if you were go to ask the people down in Life Kids, if you were to ask people serving coffee, why do you do this? Nobody is going to say, well, Becca and Samuel are awesome. Nobody's going to say, I love changing your kid's diaper. They are doing it because they are sold out 
for Jesus. Because when we see our identity, what God has done for us as informing our activity, that's what it's meant to be. It's not meant to be our activity, what I'm doing for God, informing our identity. All of this must be done because we love Jesus. Revelation 2.5 says, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me. Do the works you did at first. If you don't, repent. I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Well, who cares? I don't even know really what a lampstand is. This is a huge deal. He doesn't say I'm going to come and destroy your church. He'll allow people to function, even as 2 Timothy said, have a form of godliness but deny its power. He's going to allow it. But he will remove the light. Daryl Johnson said this, where simple love for Jesus goes, so does the light. We will not be a church that has our lampstand removed. Because we will keep Jesus at the very center of what we're doing. He will go before us in everything. We will remember what that first love was, where we fell in love with Jesus. Because there's a single one of us that would be serving him with the tasks that we're serving him with, if that's all there was. We... We fell in love with Jesus. There was a time in our lives that we recognized how great his love was for us. And we said, I want to be a part of what he's doing then. And he said that he will build his church. And so we do that in response to who he is. We will remember we will be a people who says, okay, God, bring me back to what I did at first. What did I do? And I guarantee you that what you did when you fell in love with Jesus was you spent time with him. All the things will come that will be the result of spending time with him. But he pursues you. He loves you so much. And if you're here today and you, and you say, yeah, I remember that, but you don't know that today, then go back. Repent. Find the place that you knew he loved you and that you fell in love with him and do not apologize for going there. Because I'm going to tell you, Samuel and I don't care a lick about the, the name Life West. Because when we get to heaven, I want to see Every single one of you there. And do you know what? It's not going to be me standing on a stage preaching at you. It's going to be me right in the middle of every single one of you. Worshiping the only person who gets the stage for all of eternity. And that is Jesus. And we will stand arm in arm because we kept our love for him. First and foremost... And so today, I am going to give us the opportunity. If, if I'm talking about Jesus and you're like, dude, I don't even know him, then I'm going to give us an opportunity to get to know him. And if you're like, you know what? I am a disciple of Jesus, but I don't know the Holy Spirit. Then please, please, please come forward. 
We have our prayer team down the hall that is ready. I said, listen, I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, but I don't know that I'm going to be doing a full-on filling of the Holy Spirit. But our prayer team is going to be available after service, and that is available to you today. I don't want anybody leaving here not knowing Jesus because I want to worship with you guys, not just here. I want to worship with you for eternity where we can look over each other and smile and be like, we have loved him. We knew how much he loved us. Church, we got this. I want you guys to open your phones or open your, your journals and I want you to write down one or two words, maybe it's a sentence, that you get in your mind that tells you where you were or what you did when you first fell in love with Jesus. It can be one word. For me, I would just probably write closet because that's where I was when I fell in love with Jesus, looking for a soccer shoe in my closet. And then this week, I want you to remember that. I want you to look at that. I want you to flesh that out. I want you to spend time with Jesus. Come back to that first love. Repent for walking away if you did. And then redo those things that you did at first. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.